0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Royal Automobile Club talk show in association with motorsport. I'm Ed Foster, and I'm the online editor of Motorsport magazine, and I'm joined by a very special guest today, Dick Bennett. A warm welcome. Thank you, Ed. Before we get going, I'm just going to give a little bit of background about uh, how you got to where you are now, because you've done so much, um, and we've got a lot to cover today and loads of readers' questions. So I'll just sort of run through. And correct me, jump in if I get anything wrong. (laughs) So, Dick Bennett is the founder and boss of West Surrey Racing, which currently competes in the British Touring Car Championship. And the other weekend, the team sealed the 2016 Manufacturers and Teams Championships, and its driver, Sam Tordoff, narrowly missed out on the driver's title to Gordon Shedden. Dick was the man who guided Ayrton Senna to his Formula 3 Championship, having arrived from New Zealand in 1972 by which time you'd already secured two titles in Formula Pacific with Kaki Rosberg. You were then picked up by Ron Dennis to engineer Lauda's 1979 Pro Car title. You also engineered Stefan Johansson to the F3 title in 1980, and after that, in 81, you launched West Surrey Racing as a British Formula 3 race team. And over the next 10 years, you mentored the likes of Jonathan Palmer, the aforementioned Senna, Mika Hakkinen and Rubens Barrichello. Then in 96, you went to the British Touring Car Championship and ran the works Mondeos. And since then, you finished on the podium, I I can't believe this figure, 231 times, (laughs) and won 69 races with Ford, Honda, MG, and BMW machinery. I've I've actually got some stats here, um, which obviously two you've already heard, but 35 years since it was founded, and you've done 20 years in the British Touring Car Championship. Not only that, but you have a World Touring Car Championship win, uh, 56 British F3 wins, um, which was a record at the time that you, you left, I think, at the end of 95. Yes, yep. um, we were then. I think we've been overtaken by Carlin now. Yeah, we won't talk about that. And then five British F3 titles and two Macau Grand Prix victories. What a CV. I mean, it is, it's, it's amazing. I think to try and um, go into everything, we're going to struggle today, but I'd love to start right back at the beginning and you obviously came over from New Zealand, but you already were heavily involved in motorsport. How, how did the motorsport bug first bite?
1: Uh,
0: it was when I was my first job in a
1: um, motor engineering company, and I got interested in cars, fast cars, so I did a lot of fiddling with engines, and then that led me into uh, work to move to Auckland from my hometown Dunedin. Then I had the opportunity to come to England with a chap, David Oxton, who was our New Zealand Formula Ford champion. So I thought, of course, I'd love to get to England. I'd only been in Auckland two years, so I felt bad leaving the company who assisted me to move there, Um, but I thought these places like Cosworth and all these famous names I'd read about, I can actually go and visit them. So I left my job at Performance Developments, and I said, I'll be back in two years, and um i haven't gone back <laughs> so it was um there david won the new zealand formula ford festival which was a trip to compete in the world cup at brands hatch october 72 so that's what brought me to uk to
0: kick off with right and there's uh, there are so many uh, i th- i mean new zealand has such a strong history in motorsport what is it about new zealand that turns out so many great engineers drivers um, so not so much now. I think that you know, there is a bit of a revival, but back then in the, in the 60s, 70s, there were loads of people coming out of there.
1: Well, there's two things in New Zealand. There's motorsport and rugby. So there's, you know,
0: <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> there is a bit of yachting as well, goes on. <laughs> but um, I don't take much interest in it. Um, <clears throat> no, motorsport is very strong, considering it's a country of four and a quarter million people. I think they now have eight or nine permanent racetracks in a country of that size. so And it's spread from the top of the country to the bottom of the country. So there's always something going on in motorsport all year round. The main time is January, when the used to be the Tasman Series. Uh, now they have the TRS Series. So it's great for young guys from Europe, from the UK, to go out there while it's the middle of winter here to do some testing, racing. You know, it's a five-week, um, five races. So it's a busy five weeks, but it's great for young lads to have an opportunity to get some testing or racing during the winter.
0: And uh, slightly off topic, but it suddenly popped into my head. Have you seen the sort of relaunch of Formula 5000?
1: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Does, um, does that look
0: quite interesting to you?
1: Yes. Yeah, I get the email updates every time they come out um, from the Chris Abbott. Um, and I also know Kenny Smith very well, who is still, as of January this year, I saw him racing at Hampton Downs, south of Auckland. He's 73 now or coming up 74, had a triple heart bypass probably eight, 10 years ago, and he's still doing lap record times in a form of 5,000. Really? Mm, incredible.
0: Blimey. And well, there's hope for me yet then. Yeah. I've, got an, I've, got, I've got another another 40 years then yeah. to, to improve. Excellent. Yeah. Well, that is good. Um, it, I mentioned in, in the introduction that um, you arrived and you Joined up with with Ron Dennis, and then you helped Nicky Lauda to the seventy nine. Uh, initially,
1: type. I worked for a race engine shop. Yeah. Um, in Twickenham, Race Engine Services. Um, Ken Britton and Spike Winter, so they gave me my first proper job right. in the UK. Um, I enjoyed it there. Then I'd done quite a bit of uh, race engine work in New Zealand, so I was looking for another avenue to expand my career. So. I actually had a, a friend working at March Engineering, Formula 2, so I got a job there and then worked my way up from there. Um, got into Formula 2 and that's when I joined... Uh, I worked for Fred Oprah Racing for two seasons. Um, that's when we ran Keke in Formula 2 and the New Zealand Formula Pacific Series, along with Bobby Ray Hall and several other names. Um, but then I got offered a job with Ron... Um, as much as i love fred um he passed away earlier this year um it was just he was landing me with too much work he knew i could do the money when we traveled all around europe in those days there was no euro it was lira there was deutsche marks there was french francs there was so i was left for doing the accounting i was left for doing engine building once fred learned i could build race engines he'd fly me to america do his former atlantic engines um then i was engineering the f2 car but eventually i thought this is too much. I was never at home. Um, so I joined Ron 78. Yeah.
0: Right. And what was, was, was there a, I mean, what did you learn from Ron and what I saw sure it was a case of what did he learn from you? Was it quite a, an easy relationship? Or um, I the first year was formula two
1: before. with, uh, I was looking after Eddie Cheever's car. Um, the next year we were tasked with building 25 of the BMW M1 pro cars so there was myself two other kiwis and one english guy four of us built those 25 cars Um, in record time we worked stupid hours Um, and then ron said one more to build i thought no we just we've had enough you know (laughs) (laughs) 18 hour days you know okay we were young then but um so we built one more and he said we're going to run it ourselves and you'll be very surprised when you know the driver so We finished the car at four in the morning, had to get to Silverstone by nine, loading it up on the F3 transporter, which I'd said to Ron, maybe the tail lift's not man enough for the job. 4.15 a.m. the hydraulics on the tail lift burst. So I had the pleasure of ringing Ron at 4.15 in the morning to tell him that a conversation two weeks earlier, (laughs) that was actually true. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually aero it that morning, we went home, had a shower, got to Silverstone, and then absolutely knackered. Um, and then a helicopter comes in, and our hops Nicky Lauder. So, okay, this all nighter and covered in hydraulic oil was worth it. Um, so, we ran Nicky all year, won the championship that year.
0: What was, what was he like to work with? Was he as, as professional and sort of dedicated as, as everyone alludes to?
1: Very. Um, the only way I can compare him is the following year we ran Hans Stuck. In the BMW M1 pro car just half a season and both years we won the Monaco support race to the F1 and chalk and cheese driver attitude um, out the car in the car Hans was fun guy great to work with always looked after you took you out for a beer Nicky was very professional um, very determined um, so they were both fantastic drivers but chalk and cheese the way they
0: um treated the the racing and it's interesting that nikki was was focused even just on the pro car when actually really he was he had other things to be thinking about yes
1: yeah he's still racing f1 so it was um yeah he was obviously rd ron had done a deal to get him involved through the because of philip morris car um and yeah he was um he was very precise with his feedback. We need this, we need that, we need this. But you weren't allowed to change much of those cars. So you could only take it within the parameters of the rules, which, you know, wasn't much. So we, we got the car going the best we could. The following year with um, Stuckey, then we learned that other teams were possibly going just beyond the rule yeah, books. Just beyond the envelope. So we struggled a bit. So. <laughs> um, but our sponsorship ran out. So then Ron switched me to look after his F3 team
0: and was was ron easy to work forwards i mean is he fundamentally the same person now as he even just you know despite all the mclaren success as he was um, then?
1: i never had a problem with him, but i keep you know i was hearing all these rumors he's difficult to work with but i never had an issue with him because i was focused on my work i wanted to go motor racing um and do the best you can but a lot of people criticize him for being too fussy but you know presentation, all that, I'm fussy as well. So, we fitted in pretty well. But also in 1980, uh, when I took over the F3 team, he was focusing on setting up the F1 team. So, he just let us get on with it. Um, The only queries came when I suggested to him that maybe a route, because he had a deal with March, and the 803 was not as good as the 793, which they won the championship with. So I said you need to look at this Route car because there's this Kiwi guy, Rob Wilson and it doesn't look like they've got a very good budget and they're doing well. So we went down to the Relt factory 15-20 minutes from Woking and the two Rons, Taranak and Dennis, went in Ron's plush office, the porter cabin and um, he came out half an hour, he said, right, you've got yourself a Relt, what you wanted. I said, no, I didn't want one, I just suggested. <laughs> <laughs> So we got this well F3 car and to be honest, we couldn't get it to go any quicker than the March. We were down at Goodwood two days a week, back to back in with the March. And then one day we just got fed up with tinkering around the edges. We had Stefania Hansen driving and we then made massive changes and suddenly we we're on the right track. And, cause each time we go back to the workshop, Ron would say, yes, we're racing. I'm mm, not quite yet Ron, we need another test or two. And not." <laughs> It was Sorry. costing them quite a lot of money. So, <laughs> yeah. But once we understood how this full ground effects car worked, we put the march in a corner on them. We raced it with, f- we were third in the championship, uh, 37 points behind, nine points for a win. Uh, it was Kenny Aitchison, Roberto Guerrero, and then us with Stefan. And Ron said, well, can you win the championship? I said, no. Yeah. There's four races left, we're 37 points behind, give us a chance. So first race, pole won the race, fastest lap, okay, ticket in the box. Second race, we won it, I think got fastest lap, so more points, 10 points. Um, And it Come to the Crunch, we actually, you know, we won the championship, which no one expected. So that helped Ron, I think, with his negotiations with Philip Morris. Mm. Uh, We were very happy, Stefan was very happy, so... Ron Taranak was very happy because his new route had, you know, won a prestigious championship. Mm.
0: I have to say, I actually, um, I've only met Ron a, a couple of times, and I, both times I've actually been very pleasantly surprised, because you hear all the stories, and I sat next to him at the Motorsport Hall of Fame earlier this year, uh, and after a few glasses of wine, I thought it was a good idea to tell him that I had made a a 10 pound bet against McLaren finishing on the podium this year in Formula One. Um, and, and to give him, to give him credit, he, there was silence for a bit. And I thought, oh no, this is it. I've, I've only gone and done it. And he just turned to me and he said, I'll make that 1,000. Which in hindsight, I should have taken. Mm, yes. <laughs> but, at the, but at the time, it was back in, yeah. back in May. Yeah. So I didn't, didn't have the guts, um, all the money actually to pay out if I lost. Um, uh, you mentioned uh, Stefan that, He's, he was a very special driver, wasn't he? Yes, we got on great together because um, when they were
1: struggling with the march, Stefan would come to me, what, what do you think, have a look at the car. I said, well, I've never worked on an F3. So it's, you know, F2, it's a baby, if, you know, F3 a baby F2 car. So I had a look at it and I kept saying to the guys on the car, what's different to the 79 car that won the championship? And they said, the back end's totally the same. What about the front end? Oh, um, March have come out with a um, pressed steel front bulkhead. And the 79 car had a machine, beautifully expensive machined aluminium front bulkhead. So I thought, well, it's got to be that. So we made up a big um, power bar, I call it, and we bolted it on the front of the chassis and did it on both chassis, very old-fashioned way dial gauge, and the front bulkhead on the 803 was flexing, because I then said to Stefan, what about when you hit the brakes, he said, they're spongy, compared to the 793, and I said to Ron, why don't we race the 793, common logic, that's a better car, why don't you race it, we're not allowed to, but it's your car, no, it belongs to March, I didn't know that March had given him a car, (laughs) so we had to race the 803, so... That was the hiccup, but we found the problem that the front bulkhead was actually flexing and the wishbone pickups came off that as well, the top and bottom front pickup point. Right. So So it was all moving around. Right. Um, But we switched to the Relt and that was it. I think Ron Taranek sold 71 or 72 RT3s after that. That's amazing, isn't it? Yeah, I didn't get a commission from him. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah well it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's i think i be a bit late now
1: um i'm actually going to see him i'm off to sydney in december and i oh, emailed right. well, ron it's not too late he's now 91. coming up 91.92 really so i'm going to visit him in sydney
0: yeah ask for some money mm. <laughs> <laughs> um you you then t- having t- won the championship with Stefan, you you then set up west side racing what uh, so what was the thinking behind that? I mean, obviously you had experience then of F3, but yes. why your um, company? And it was just why
1: almost perfect timing. Um, RD asked me to be the F1 test team manager to keep an eye on you know, development and all that. And I just had a blanket thing. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be involved in F1 because I shared a flat with four guys from F1, from Bruce McLaren F1, from Brabham's. And all I hear every night was whinging moaning, whinging moaning. I thought, what do I want to do F1 for? And my flatmates, all they do is complain. They have a few laughs when they trips to America and that, South America. So I just, in my mind, I don't want to do F1. Um, so I was leaving Ron, and he kept saying, come on, come on, do this. And I said, no, no, I don't want to do it, Ron. I just, you know, what are you going to do? I don't know. I go home, I don't know. So then it was my task to sell the Steffens F3 car, um, so this chap, Mike Cox, who owned West Surrey Engineering, come along with this young lad, Jonathan Palmer, are oh, interested in buying the championship-winning car. So we took him to Goodwood. Stefan did 20, 30 laps. Jonathan hopped in and straight out of the box. He'd never driven F3. And he was quick. Oh, this guy's good. So they bought the car, but typical Formula Ford team moving up is it got the good engine, has it got all the good bodywork, has it got all the... I said, Ron's doing F1, he just wants to get rid of everything. And trust me, I said, you yeah, know, I've looked after this car, it's exactly as it won the championship. So they bought the car, went to Goodwood, I ran the car for Jonathan for the day, he went even quicker than he'd been, I thought, this guy's good. Two weeks later I get a phone call, we've lost half a second, three quarters of a second round, good, we don't know why. What have you done? Oh, it's, it was a bit stiff, so we've softened it. So I said, no, just you don't soften it. It's a ground effects car. You need the tunnels, the skirts to work. So I reset it up for them again. I gave them a little do, don't list, you know, and they rang up again. We've lost our way again. <laughs> so I said to the chap who bought the car for John, and I said, look, you're wasting your money unless you run this properly. It's not a Formula Ford. They've been running Formula Ford 1600. So I said, it's got full aero, you must... Know. And he said, what are you doing? I said, well, to be honest, I don't know. I said, I'm committed to go home to New Zealand to help the original guy I came to England with, Dave Oxton, because he had a Formula Atlantic, Formula Pacific car, an old Chevron. And my idea was to help him, but I said, I'm not coming back to help you unless you get a Route RT4, the big brother of the RT3. So he rang me and said, I'm in Canada, I've just bought a car, four races old, you're coming home to help me. Said, oh, Okay. In between time, my mind was going, I'll set up this F3 team with Mike Cox and Jonathan. So I agreed with um, Mike Cox and Jonathan that I would do it, however, they wouldn't see me till the middle of February, because I'm off to help my mate, I'm not going to let my best mate down. So I went home to New Zealand, we won the New Zealand Championship with the route. came back and there was no um, mobile, no iPhones in those days, you couldn't set up a team by text or by email. It was, yeah, <laughs> faxes, phone calls. So I gave him a list of what we needed to set up a team, a garage, a transporter, another mechanic. I came back, middle of February, tiny, tiny little lockup garage, a Ford transporter that would just fit the car and which would do 47 mile an hour. <laughs> I said to this chap, I said, this isn't quite what I'd envisioned. <laughs> Were you maybe not specific <laughs> enough on what you needed? <laughs> but at the end of the day, I knew the car well. Jonathan had impressed me, and we went out and won the championship
0: with the same car. What a year! Two championships in a year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You must have thought it was all quite easy at that stage. I I thought
1: this is a doddle. (laughs) Yeah, this is yeah. So then the next year we ran a chap um, Kiki Mansilla, Argentinian, and we finished second once we'd got him to understand understeer, oversteer with a ground effects car.
0: Right, I'd, I was, I was going to say, before you said with the ground effects car, I thought that's sort of quite basic stuff to know if you're a racing driver in Formula 3. But
1: Yeah, Kiki had jumped from Formula Ford as well, so he found it quite a jump. Whereas Ayrton, Senna had jumped uh, Formula Ford, Formula Ford 2000, then F3. So he, he did the correct stepping stone. And it was through running Mansilla that we got Ayrton because Ayrton's view was that in Formula Ford 1600... He didn't rate Mansilla. He said, if you've got him to finish second in the championship, you must have a good car. I thought, that's a bit unfair on poor old Kiki. <laughs> 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 fair enough, because Eddie Jordan was trying to get Ayrton yes, through a different yeah. manner, through commercial, to sign him up. Mm. I didn't even think of that sort of thing.
0: But so even by that stage, even before he drove an F3 car, he was already hot property.
1: Ayrton? Yeah. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He had won the Formula Ford 1600. <laughs> Um, went through a divorce when he was 21, 22. Uh, he wanted to focus on motorsport, which was, you know, his decision. And he did Formula 4 2000, won the championship, so everyone was after him. <coughs> but through one of his friends, they contacted me because um, I'm not the sort of person that goes around pushy, chasing them. Um, so we had a meeting, discussed it, did a quick test, him um, half a day. Straight out the box, like, oh, this guy's good. Um, Feedback was fantastic. His lap times were consistent. So we agreed then to do the non-championship race at the end of 82. And he just blitzed everyone. Pole position, fastest lap, won the race by 13 seconds or something. So we agreed then and there on the day. That's it. Shook hands. He said, I'm off back to Brazil. I'll see you next year. I thought. Okay, right. <laughs> so he took off home to Brazil. We had a few phone calls and then um, he arrived back early March. He he stayed away a long time and as normal, we bought a new car every year. And he said, the other car was good. It was great. I said, yeah, but it's a year old. We'll get the latest. But I won that race in that car. I said, yeah, you can win races with this car. And he was like, well, oh, I thought I could have saved myself a lot of money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but we'd already sold the the other car, so um, which was another story. Gerhard Berger. Um, so yeah, you know, we went on, and that's when he won nine out of nine races, which I think was a a record then, or maybe
0: still is. I'm not sure. And then, but I mean, that was an absolutely fantastic season. Formula 3 racing, I th- obviously, because it was Senna, the name, but you know, with the competition with Brundle, what um, what tipped it that s- suddenly Senna didn't get the results and Brundle caught up? What, what was uh, it that? Yeah, that so changed. Um, s- Debates still go on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. um, I was the same engineer, Ayrton was the same driver. We strongly believe that. EJ had pulled a, a, a Swifty and we had a deal going with an English engine tuner to build the Toyota Nova motor. Eddie took Martin's engine back to Italy and had some update mod done to it. And that's when, because said, he said, you know, they're quicker down the straight than us now. So we finished up running less rear wing to keep up on the straight, but then Martin had the edge in the corners. So it was a cat and mouse, and it wasn't till we then for the final round when the championship was coming to a head um, that we sent our engine back to Nova Motor and had it rebuilt and put it back in the car. Went to Snedderton. it was just a different car, really much quicker. Yeah. So I thought, bloody hell, that's you know I kicked myself for putting us through that stress for yeah. those five or six races. Yeah. Um, but in those days, you just think, I've got a Toyota Nova motor, it's good engine. Mm. But you learn. So. Yeah, lesson learned. Yeah. So, and also, then to make it even better for us, worse for Martin, Routes had two modifications ready for the 84 car. And because I'd worked with Ron, helping him out with Ron Dennis, um, he said, You have first choice, Dick. There's a, a new underbody shape, Venturi, for the tunnel or there's a new steering geometry for the front on the steering and all that. I said, Ron, what do you think? What would give the best possible? He said, I'd go for the side pods. I said, okay, we'll take a pair. Went to Snedderton with the new engine, did the morning. We are at garage 36, Martin and Eddie were down in garage one, both timing each other with stopwatches. (laughs) No electronic timing in those days. And already in the morning, we were quicker. So I thought, okay, are they playing? They're not showing their full hand. Um, so I put the side pods on just before the lunch break and Ayrton went out. He came back in after four or five laps. He says, mega. I said, you haven't gone any quick. So I'm not even trying. He said, so I thought, okay, what's he on about? So we went and had lunch, come back out, went out in a set of old tires, got the car, we're we'll running again. Made a tiny adjustment to the front wing to suit the new side pod. And out he went on the good tyres and just blitzed the time we'd already done. So I thought, OK, we're looking good for trucks, and all we've got to do now is give him a reliable car, which is what happened. We just, you know, blitzed that race. So engine and the side pods gave us that advantage. Mm.
0: Do you, at, at the time, and obviously you were not that new to Formula 3, but you were quite new. Did you realise how good Senna was? I mean, but from you talking there, I think you obviously did, but or just is run sort of His two, focus three and, yeah. yeah
1: his focus just working with other drivers his ability to recall a test day was incredible no computers in those days no data logging on the dash he could keep it all up in his head so that was very impressive um you'd ring you 2 or 3 days after a test and say I just I've been thinking about that test at Snetterton and maybe we should look at this because um I don't think we've went down that road far enough, because sometimes you'd try an avenue, stop, no, it's not working, go back. And, you know, he was incredible like that. So the next test would put that in and try, OK, let's move that further. No, he was... Um, he was very focused and... Um, probably a bit by myself, he was a bad loser. He didn't want to lose, because when we started having the problems, um, accidents i sat him down and said look you're 30 whatever six points ahead if we're careful you can just finish second and we'll still win the championship easily you i don't want, want to, to do finish that. second okay right so what do we do so then <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we had a few dramas we went through two chassis three chassis um but at the end of the day it all came
0: out you know the way i think it should have mm. come out so yeah. It's, uh, it, you mentioned stopwatches there, and I've been told that you still use stopwatches today and you'll, you'll be seen wandering around the British Touring Car paddock with two stopwatches around your neck.
1: Not since Knock Hill cool this year, my good really? old stopwatch has gone missing.
0: Oh, so oh dear. Right, I'm well, well very uh, alert to it. all podcast okay. listeners then. <laughs> <laughs>
1: stopwatch missing. My little black stopwatch, as I had for years and years has disappeared. Oh dear. We've so, been through both of our transporters, we've been through my office and we cannot
0: find it. So it, it, why, up until Knockhill <laughs> this year, why do you still use these stopwatches when there's sort of timing screens everywhere, there's split times, there's... there's well split- that's
1: what happened at Silverstone this year, which I brought up in the Teams meeting yesterday, The um, the pit perch computers all went down, the TVs, and all the ones in the garage. So, if you've got a good old handheld stopwatch, at least you can time your car and record it because we lost everything the sectors, the overall laps. But it wasn't just us, it was the whole pit lane. The whole system crashed. But also, I use it for the starts, the lights, uh, red light to off because the regulations are it mustn't be under 1.6 seconds. And occasionally they do. So, I'll go and flag it up then because, you know, um, it's not it's supposed to be. 1.6 to 5 seconds, 5 seconds far too long yeah. to hold a car on the grid. So I use that just and then make a note and you see if there's a pattern forming, if the same guy's doing the starts, um, can you risk, you know?
0: You you're sure you should be saying all of this, aren't <laughs> giving away all these trade secrets, it's great, it's brilliant. Well, as it turned out yesterday in the
1: team's meeting, um, they monitor the start. We monitor our three cars, 0 to 100k, and obviously Tokadu as well because the chief scrutineer, Mr. Ritchie, said Rob Collard's the fastest. But we've known that for years. Rob yeah. Collard has got some knack of getting off the start line. to 100 k Colin Turkin couldn't beat him. Andy Prio couldn't beat him. Sam Tordoff couldn't beat him. He's, Rob has come through the stock cars when he was young. Yeah. Four lap races. So it's not only it's reaction time, but he is fantastic off the start line. It's interesting, isn't it? So they penalised us because of one good starter,
0: right? So. Yeah, my my father used to do a bit of historic racing, and with the cars that he owned, he was um, sort of more recently in the sort of the the nineties. He wasn't really up at the front of the grid. He was in a he had a Simca Gordini in nineteen forty eight Grand Prix car, and on anything that wasn't a really twisty circuit, it just didn't have the power. Um, to trouble anyone else and he always said about the starts so he said honestly when you're starting mid-grid no one's looking so quite often he would just go <laughs> before the lights went out so you can make up lots of places that no one otherwise <laughs> ever ever gets well these days
1: they do actually have start line uh, marshals watching but they only have about four for 30 cars yeah so and it's, I, uh, it's a tricky one uh we got penalised two years ago, front row of the grid, Nick Foster got a drive-through penalty. He didn't jump the start, he had just stopped over the line because the, the grid, if you're on the front row they have a person for the two row standing there and the guy was standing beyond the white line. So Nick just moved up to the guy right. and of course he started so he got drive-through. He didn't jump the start, he was 18 inches over the line. But we've watched this year and seen a certain car over the line and nothing was done about it. And he's a front running guy who could win the championship. So uh, when we do an A1 GP, they had cameras set up off the start line. So linked into the lights. So when the lights went, they, they took photographs. You could easily then say, you've got photographic evidence, you're good, you're bad. Yeah.
0: Why don't more championships I do don't that? know to
1: be honest Ed, no, don't know.
0: Um, I, d- I must take some readers' questions, we've got loads of them, and then, you know, mentioning A1 GP there, I'd like to talk a, talk a bit about that as well. Um, I've got a nice question here from Piers, uh going back to the F3 stuff. Who do you think was faster in an F3 car, Senna or Hakkinen? Because you obviously ran Mecca as well. Um, oh dear, that's a tricky one. <laughs> <laughs> I, d- I didn't say that any of these questions were easy, I said we got lots of good uh, questions. <laughs>
1: technical feedback Ayrton would win, pure, not aggressive, just pure raw talent I'd say Mika. Really? He, he could drive a car with three wheels on it and still get it going quick. His technical feedback in his early days was not that brilliant, uh, but once you learnt to understand what he was explaining, again, there was no data logging. There was a very basic dashboard system. Uh now these days it's quite easy because you plug in the computer, you look at all your data, you can see if you've got understeer, you can see if you've got oversteer, you can see what gear you're in in corners. So it's quite easy these days. Easier than those days. Uh, Mika was incredible with his pure raw talent. Ayrton was more of a thinker, uh, more tense than Mika as well. So both... Fantastic drivers, but slightly different way they approached it.
0: Yeah, um, I'm just going to move on to. I'd actually, before I forget, um, Gerhard Berger, you mentioned. Oh, there's a story there. What was what was the Gerhard Berger yeah. story when you <laughs> sold the car to him? That was the um,
1: the Mansilla car. Uh, it had been bought, and it was. Oh, I forget the exact date. It must have been around the middle of February. We'd rebuilt it, looking absolute mint. It was paid for and bought for Gerhard by Helmut Marco, So he paid us already. Gerhard arrived with his tow vehicle and an open trailer in the middle of winter. And this car looked like brand new. We'd rebuilt it. Everything looked mint. So I wouldn't let him take it away. And he got the hump with me. (laughs) He said, but we've bought it. I said, yes, you have paid for it. You haven't. I said, but your boss Helmut has. But I said we've got pride in our work. And if I let you put it on that open deck trailer and go back to Austria in the snow and the salt on the roads, it'll be a mess. Well, we'll clean it. No. I said, no. (laughs) Sorry, you're not taking it. (laughs) I can see why you got on so well with Ron now. (laughs) (laughs) So he stayed overnight. We went and bought some tarpaulin, some tie wraps, some bungee cords. So we wrapped the whole car up in this, you know, any way we could to protect it and then I let him take it away. So he lost a day. Brilliant. And we still spoke about it a
0: couple of years ago. We had a laugh. (laughs) He still hasn't forgotten. Still hasn't forgotten. Um, There's a a question here from Chris Phillips, um, who's a massive fan of yours apparently. Um, You ran some of the best ever drivers in F3 and you must've been delighted to be seen as a de facto team to run with in the 1980s. Why did you leave F3? Why did you get out of it? Uh, Another good question. I guess because we'd
1: done it for some number of years and always were finishing in the top 3 in the championship and myself and the team we were getting bigger as a company we were looking for a new challenge and I can blame or thank Paul Radisic for it <laughs> <laughs> for moving into Super Touring uh, he opened the door for us with Ford Motor Company so that's how we got into super touring. Yeah. But we were straight in from running a, a production F3 Delara car, which is absolutely fantastic to buy out the box. It can mm. be a winner. Whereas when you had a rail or a Raynard, you always had to find the, the hidden little problem yeah. with it to make All it the win. F- the flexing front. So I also <laughs> lost a bit of interest because the Dallara, you could get a car from Italy, within 24 hours you could be on track and it can be a winner. So the challenge of engineering it had gone away mm. a bit. And Super Touring, totally the opposite.
0: What a fantastic era of British Touring cars, the Super Touring. I mean, did, did it feel like that when you were actually competing in it? Because as a fan, um, it's, I think it's a bit like the sort of the Group B rallying era and just how fantastic the cars were. And I hate the words iconic, but it, it was, you know, it was an iconic era. Did it, did it feel like that? Or was it more of a, because you had just arrived and it was so different to Formula 3? Halfway through 96, I was about to give up and go back to FC. So it didn't feel like that at all. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we
1: were landed in the deep end because uh, we weren't going to build a car. We were just engaged to run it and help develop it. Somewhere down the line between Ford and Reynards, the deal didn't come together to build the new cars. Reynard said it's too late a date given to them by Ford. So we were left with no cars. Uh... We then had to go to Germany to a company called Schubel Engineering and get this Mondeo, two of them, that had been running as four-wheel drive and convert them to two-wheel drive. That was all helped by, done by Schubel. Um they Had a couple of English engineers there, uh, John McLaughlin. Uh, so that was, he was a great guy, but we're up against time and every time we ran the car, being all the power going through the front axle, things were breaking things were cracking I thought this is not the way I want to go racing so I found it hard the first year Uh, and I seriously thought what am I doing this for you know I'm not afraid of work but you've you're supposed to enjoy what you're doing and none of us are enjoying it three o'clock in the morning we're looking at another crack in the chassis how can we fix it quickly we're out testing again in 48 hours we didn't have a test car. So, but we got a head round it. The 97 car was built by Reynard, still had some issues. They'd never built a proper Super Touring, they were new into it. So, we were helping them out a lot, what we'd learnt. Uh, 98 car, again, uh, was built within the regulations. Uh, we were then learning the, the grey areas of Super Touring. <laughs> it was a fantastic engineering exercise. But the problem was the budgets were just going through the roof. It was, uh, we thought in the final year we had a budget of, or well, between the people who built the Honda and us running it, there was a budget of five and a half million. Wow. We thought, well, this is a lot of money. The team that won it had a budget of nine and a half million. Yeah, tough to compete with that, isn't it? And you can't compete with it. Then when Super Touring finished, I got to know... Um, the guy who ran nissan motorsport and i said to him um can you tell me how much you spent when they won it in the year before he said over nine million so we're just shaking our heads going we can't compete with this mm. it was a fantastic engineering formula but it had to finish it was a victim of
0: its own success really wasn't it the all- british
1: national yeah. championship costing 10 million
0: Drivers loved it because they were all
1: getting paid three or four hundred thousand pound a year each. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: thank you very much. So they they all
1: enjoyed it. Great, because there was nine manufacturers involved, Mm. but it had to come to an end,
0: and it did. Yeah. So there's a couple of lean years when it went through the early transition period. Yeah. There's there's actually another question here from Chris. Um, you know, you've reached. Of high levels of success in both single seaters and uh, the British Touring Car Championship. Which category do you look back on? I mean, obviously, you're still very much involved in the British Touring Car Championship, but which period do you look back on most fondly? Is it, is it uh, F3? F3, enjoyment wise, was great
1: when uh, the particular year with Mika in 1990, uh, Philip Morris Marlborough tasked us with going to Europe to do three races because they had uh, internal budgetary debates going on. Why are you giving this money to the UK when you're not allowed to carry the word Marlborough? We had to cover up. So the chap in charge of them, Graham Bogle said, well we believe that the British F3's top championship and is a good team. So they gave us money to go and do three European rounds to see how we compared against the Europeans. So we did Imola. We did Hockenheim and we supposed to do one in France. We did Imola first. Uh, we had to switch from our Avon tires to Michelin's. We're only allowed 10 tires for the whole weekend. So we used them very carefully. We worked out a strategy. The Italians were, were against 42 cars. Forty of them were Delara's <laughs> <laughs> right. mainly with Alpha engines. So <laughs> yeah. we arrived with a with a Honda and a Mugen Honda. So we're the odd ones out. Mika mm. and I and the other um, engineer, we drove around in a hire car, went round, did a few laps. What sort of downforce? Where do we start? So let's go. Oh, that's a fast corner. That's uh, let's long straight. Let's go medium downforce because um, we could compare it to like Snetterton to Silverstone Grand Prix track. So we started off and then got into qualifying uh we qualified first and then uh, using one set of tires then the italians panicked because we went p1 they all run no downforce you've got to be quick down the straight (laughs) but for qualifying you don't you want to get around the corners so they all start cranking wing on because they'd seen our car um i think it was he Mika panicked a bit. I said, don't worry. I said, they're now using their second set of tyres in second qualifying. We are only going to go out, we're going to sit here, sit tight, be confident, and we're not going to use our second set. We'll keep them for Sunday's race. So we went out, scrubbed them only, come in, took them off. Sat there with no wheels on the car on the pit lane. We still had our spare pair left. Um... And he stayed P1, stayed P1, and right at the end of Q2, we got pip for P2 on the grid. Okay, we're front row, no problem. Sunday morning warm up, we put on our other pair of new ones, and we blitzed everyone on the warm up, so they even got more panicky. (laughs) (laughs) So, if you work out the strategy, we had a new set just scrubbed for the race, the Italians didn't, and we'd put on our spare pair on the left or right side, I can't remember and we blitzed them in the warm-ups, and they were just all shaking their head then. How can this team come to a new track, you know, this RELT car with a Honda engine, <laughs> we've all got Dallara Alphas, uh, so then they picked on us in scrutiny And your seat belts are illegal, your fire bottle's not legal. So just. They had our car pulled apart for about three or four hours. And luckily, the Italian RELT agent was there. He come and helped us out with the translation, the English to Italian, and eventually they conceded it was legal, they were just trying to find something. So we went into the race, Mika won it comfortably, um, but they kept on putting a red flag, lap one Mika come round on the lead, red flag, I said to Mika, what's the problem, he said, it's just a car spun, shouldn't be a red flag, okay, I said, maybe come round in second place They won't red flag, <laughs> <laughs> Restart again he comes round leading, another red flag, I said, what's happened this time, he said, just just another car spun off. Third time lucky we got going and he won the race comfortably So tick in the box from philip morris Went to hockenheim uh, Schumacher michael schumacher Uh, We'd never been to hockenheim. We'd had some advice from a team what gear ratios they tucked us up big time Uh, Gear ratios are miles out. We had to change (laughs) gears Uh, The car was far too stiff for the chicanes the old hockenheim Uh, Had a misfire on the engine as well so we were panicking. Friday night, we were about P22 out of it, 28 cars. Some German journalists come down, oh, you British champions are supposed to be good. I said, yeah, we're okay. We have a few little issues to sort out. <laughs> Gear ratios, misfires, cars too stiff. So we softened it around. I was on the phone back to Neil Brown's in England about the engine because we had no engine guy there. We couldn't afford it. Uh, we had a spare car there, the Leighton House car. We had that there, we took every electrical component off it we could think of. The tail light, everything was changed. We've got to fix this misfire. Uh, we changed all the springs set up round, changed damper settings, changed the ratios, went out on Saturday morning, uh, old tyres, he come round, thumbs up, misfire was fixed, chassis much better came in, meantime Schumacher's sitting there arms folded because he's on pole, but second qualifying still got about 20 minutes to go, said to Mika, he said much better over the chicanes, gearing's much better, misfire's gone, give me the new tyres, put the new tyres on, bang, pole. Schumacher then went out, couldn't get (laughs) near (laughs) us.
0: Very satisfying.
1: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, very. Sad. we won the race again, um, the Marlborough guy was there, he said, I want you to come across the start line before Schumacher comes out the stadium onto the start. I said, well, tall autogram, but we'll do our <laughs> bit. <laughs> and Mika did it. We crossed the line about five seconds ahead of um, Schumacher. So we won that one, so this was winning the fight, the internal Philip Morris battle about budgets. Uh, and then said, so right, the, I think it was Manny Corr, the third round. But Philip Meyer says, don't bother doing it. You don't have to do it now. We'll still give you the money. You've proved enough. And that was it. So we were very happy with our F3. That was a good, yeah. fun exercise. Uh, the touring cars are more challenging engineering-wise because you have to do a lot more. Now we've been design and building our own cars. Um, that's a good – I love the technical challenge there. Yeah, uh, even though the rules are much tighter than the super touring, there's still
0: certain areas. So there is still scope for innovation and, and engineering yeah, not
1: as Excellence. much, but yeah. it's you know you can play with certain areas. So yeah, I, I enjoyed F three, in that sort of circumstance. We enjoyed going to Macau in '83 with Senna. Won that. No one had been there. That was fantastic. Switching tires. We beat everyone else. Um, Japanese, German, Italian, French F three, British F three everyone came together for the first time. So that was a, uh, a very happy
0: uh, late Sunday night finishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. Yeah. I've, uh, you, you also um, did the World Touring Car Championship. And am I right in thinking that it took the championship three rounds before they changed the regulations? About being an independent team. I've also. Yeah, we did five rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And they. I've been given a heads up here um, that I should ask you about a blue dot disappearing from a timing screen. (laughs) Bruno. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) We did
1: uh, Porto Mayo. We struggled a bit there, first meeting. And it was incredibly hot too. It was like 40 degrees C. Uh, Never been to the track. Very challenging. Technical track, we struggled, we qualified 10th or something. Not where we felt we should be, but just learn about it, learn about the Yokohama's. Next round was Brands GP, we knew the track well, so independent wins there, comfortable, fastest laps comfortable. Got to the next round, Bruno, and we got through qualifying, and Marcello Lotti, the boss man, called us for a meeting. I thought, okay, he's going to congratulate us, you know, we've done well. No, uh, you. as of now, you're no longer an independent. Pardon? But we are independent. No, as of now, you're not. Uh, but Marcello, we're not works. No, you're not works. What are we? We're in no man's land. <laughs> so we thought it was a wind-up, but when I pushed him hard, he said, all the other teams are against you. Why? I said, we're running the car to your regulations, we're running the car, it's a BMW FIA Super 2000 320 SI we bought as a kit, we've made one or two changes within the regs, which we're allowed to do, we've developed it, we've got the Yoko's working well, so I said, if the car's running to your rules and FIA regs, what's the problem? They all say you're too fast. (laughs) We've got a very good driver, (laughs) a good engineer's, and the car's legal. What's the problem? They all want to pull out. If you don't go out of independence, they'll all pull out. I just thought oh. I thought it was a joke. Sunday morning warm up, eight fifteen in the morning. The blue dot had gone off the timing screen. We're not independent anymore. So straight Lottie. after the warm up, I got Colin's dad Trevor. We went back across to see Lottie. Mm. He was in a meeting. I broke into the meeting. Said we need to talk seriously about this. I said, I thought you were just joking Saturday night. He said, no, I told you. I said, but we had a deal, an agreement before we did this, on the phone to Italy. And I said, now you've broken that agreement. He said, all the people leave me. I said, they won't leave you, Marcello. They must have contract for sponsors. They must have contracts with drivers, the teams. He said, I can't do anything. This is it. So, Blimey. That really, really... It's odd you didn't do more well touring cars. <laughs> Uh, we didn't do it the following year, uh, and I saw him this year at the British Grand Prix. Yeah, shook hands having a chat. We're in the back of the F1 paddock. I really need you in TCR, Dick. Good top team. I said, You'll never get me in. <laughs> <laughs> I said, Because you, I said, Count my fingers. Do, do I've still got them all? I don't trust you anymore. Really? I said, You really mucked up our plan, yeah, because we were. I know you shouldn't count on prize money, but the prize money was quite good then. Hmm. we would come away with nineteen thousand euros, which helped our budget, yeah because we'd factored in like we should win fifty percent. brave call cool. yeah, um, was, yeah and we lost everything. we didn't get a penny, Yeah. but then we had the pleasure of going to Japan and winning outright so S- satisfying. Oh, sorry, finishing second on the road, and then. A certain team was excluded for irregularity with their car. Right. So we inherited- Very satisfying it. way to, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: um, I'd, now, I'd, I must get through some more of these readers' questions, because I'm, yes. I'm wary of the fact that we're sort of slightly running out of time. I did just want to touch um, on the fact that in 2002, in the British Touring Car Championship, you were, uh, you were obviously a team being sponsored by a pop group, Atomic Kitten. Atomic Kitten, yes. How on earth <laughs> did that happen? Uh,
1: long story Um, it was an involvement through MG Rover MG Sport and Racing they liked the idea of getting more publicity so we had the two works full liveried MGs um, Warren Hughes and Anthony Reid and then the marketing division at MG said can you run two more we're only just you know The first cars were built by Lola that was a problem between Lola and MG Rover so we had to build new cars for O2 so they were WSR the works cars and we had the two atomic the the two cars left from the year before so uh, marketing people don't understand the work involved in running suddenly gearing up for four cars I said we can look at it we can do it and they said well we'll show you a couple of little graphics of the car Wow, atomic kitten. This, this uh, seems quite advanced. <laughs> yeah, we'll do this. <laughs> so we got Colin Turkington and Gareth Howe. Right. And it was a hard year because we had engine problems and so on. But, yeah, that was not done by us. It was done by MG right. Sport and okay. Racing. Marketing <laughs> department thought it would be easy, just another oh, two cars. Yeah, that's fine. I
0: don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> okay, so uh, these I'm, I'm going to rattle through some of these, um, and they will... T- they will I'm not going to put them in any particular order. Um, but uh, there's one here from Anthony Jenkins, actually, who's going back to Senna. Um, you sort of touched on this, but did when he was in F3, did he exhibit the sort of single-minded ruthlessness that marked his latter career? I mean, obviously, he, he had some tangles. He had some accidents. Um, were the glimpses of his... I mean, you mentioned that he just didn't want to finish second. I think that's probably a fair um, answer, I would have thought, to Anthony. Yeah. Name.
1: I had to sit him down a couple of times which I thought I shouldn't have to do this, he's an intelligent young lad. But he was just so, he believed himself so much he was the best. And why am I being beaten? So I said second's better than third Ayrton, pers- you know, no I've got to win. So, <laughs> so uh, you know it came to a head because we we're just losing points after points, I said if you finish second and get fastest that you get seven points, Martin gets nine he's only closing the gap by two we can still win this comfortably but no he wouldn't have it mm-hmm. so we had accident after accident and it cost us a lot because we he wasn't a crasher mm. in his previous formula so i thought okay the budget will do that when we got to our third new chassis <laughs> this is not turning out to how it was <laughs> planned
0: the cheapest of seasons
1: so when he wrote it off in qualifying at knock hill uh not Knockhill, Hill, um I'm cadwell out. park yeah Cadwell, Cadwell, 25 past nine in the morning. Um, he'd come in, he said, just, the car's good, but i got a whisker of understeer. I can go much quicker. I said, well, we've only got like four minutes left. It's quite a long lap round, Cadwell. So I just cranked half a degree of front wing on, and he went out again, and apparently someone timing him half a lap away from me, and he was like three-tenths quicker. He's already on pole by half a tenth over Martin, and I think the next guy Davy Jones or Mario Heighton was like three or four tenths away, five tenths away. Right. So it's only the two of the minute, yeah. but he was on pole, but he said I can go much quicker. So that half a degree wing helped him till he got two thirds of the way around. I forget the names of all the corners. We haven't been there since 83. You come round the back, down, downhill and you turn left and go uphill, and then you turn right. He, we worked it out later what had happened, because he was a bit puzzled what happened. The edge of the track, the concrete, then it dropped. So just from cars going over it, probably saloon cars, whatever, it had worn away, so there was quite a drop down. And we reckon he had dropped his right rear over there, and when he went to turn to go up the hill, there was no load on the left front tyre, But he believed in it so much, he just kept his foot on full throttle and he cranked on the lock, cranked on the lock and nothing happened. He went straight into the concrete wall, the Marshall's post. Marshall jumped off in a panic and broke his leg. Um, We've got one written off car at half past nine in the morning. And his girlfriend said, can we fix it for the race? I said, you obviously don't understand aluminium because the (laughs) chassis is about a foot shorter than it should be. (laughs) So we packed up, and I was back in my local pub in Shepparton at two o'clock. And my mates, you're supposed to be in Cadwell racing. I said, well, "We were till nine thirty this morning." <laughs> <laughs> so another written off chassis. Yeah,
0: yeah expensive year. Yeah.
1: yeah, but you know, we we came right at the end. So. Yeah.
0: Um, did you ever, t- t- Barry um, Glading or Glading? Glading, um, sorry, Barry. Um, did you ever work with Mike Thackwell?
1: No, never no, worked with no. him. I knew. I met him uh, yeah. through when he was driving for the Relt uh, Works F2 team. Mm.
0: Yeah, it's quite a, quite a character. I always think a great lost talent of of motorsport.
1: Yes, apparently even Ron Taneja admitted he was very talented
0: lad. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a question here uh, from Michael Ed, of how you rated Bertrand Fabi compared with other drivers you ran in in F3. Uh,
1: I thought he was fantastic, Uh, really, really, really sad what happened to him at such a early life. Um, Mm. I got on great with him, only known him a short time and I'd actually just had a microsurgery on my knee in hospital and we were testing at Goodwood and I thought, he offered, he came and picked me up from the hospital Mm. in Windsor and drove me in my little GTI golf Mm. um, because I was supposed to keep my leg out straight, all that stuff so we got on great and uh, i think he had very good potential but just the trouble was that year uh, everywhere was shut for testing and we had a pretty much a new car we had two cars one for damon hill as well so the only circuit open was goodwood and he'd done a great job he was not far off um dave scott who was testing the new reynard but Dave was on his third or fourth year of F3, so he knew what F3 was all about, whereas Bertram was brand new and um, and just uh, about quarter to five we gave him a new set of tyres and um, said, just go out, do three or four laps, come in, we'll check the pressures. So he did that, we checked the pressures, checked the wheel nuts, and he went out again and I think it was his second lap, he had his accident and just... We believe just pushing too hard, wanting to do a time on new Mm. tyres. The trouble is it was such a cold day, the temperature wasn't there. And uh, when we went back and studied that corner, it's still the same. It's got that dip in the middle, Turn 1. It's at Goodwood. Goodwood, Turn 1. It's Mm. got a a dip in it. Yeah. And we got a police there to do a report, and they reckon you could see tyre marks crossing that he had lost it but then he tried to hang on to it. If he'd let it spin to the infield, he would have been all right, but he corrected it because you can see the tire marks crossing. So it spun. Yeah. Then he went to the outfield and it was solid earth, frozen wall. So yeah. he had no chance. Yeah. So it was, um, no. I was thinking in those days, then we'll give up racing, but you know, it was, um, we then had a real problem because me again. I was going to take the profit from running Bertrand to run Damon. Yeah, and I, that then all fell apart. So we, I then rigged up for Damon to go to Murray Taylor Racing.
0: Yeah. What what impression did you get of Damon? Because I've actually just finished his his book, um, Watching the Wheels, which I don't know if you've read yet. But it's it's a, Not it's a good yeah it's a, it's a good read actually. It's, it's definitely worth um, uh, it's worth getting it. It's uh, it's what what was he like? Because he I mean he was. In the book, he, he sort of mentions that obviously going from bike racing to car racing was a big jump and his first car race was a complete disaster. But by the time he got to you and tested, was he a bit more competent?
1: Well, unfortunately, we didn't get to run him much because of the mm. Bertrams accident, which was early February. But I actually went back and helped them because um, we finished up doing Formula 3000 with our 85 champion Maurizio Guzman. Yeah. So there wasn't so many races, so I went to a test at Snet and helped him a bit because, with Murray's guys, um, they weren't quite up to speed on the engineering as much as I'd hoped. Um, Murray put on a great show, we're still best of friends. Every time I go home to New Zealand, I catch up with them, stay with them. Um, so I helped him on the test day, but it's, it's quite a big learning curve if you haven't had much single-seater experience. So I never saw his true potential in those days.
0: Um, We aren't nearing the end, but we've got time for a a few more questions. uh, This is from Matt in South Korea. Um, There are a few stories about Bertrand Gasho out of the car, such as throwing torque wrenches, getting into fights, and of course the infamous cabbie incident um, that gave Schumacher his first race. What was he like in and out of the car? And do you think he had the talent for a long career? Yeah, he was
1: quick, yeah, for sure. Uh, Quite difficult to work with. (laughs) (laughs) Might be an understatement. (laughs) Um, Good guy, sociably. Mm. uh, But I think expected a little bit too much. Um, We finished second in the championship, but it was a hell of a lot of work because we started the season with a mechanically... Uh, injected mechanical ignition Volkswagen, Judd engines, good engine, we'd won the championship in with Guzhelman, 85. Came back into F3 with Bertrand with Philip Morris money, Uh, the deal was we become the Philip Morris junior team to run young drivers, so that was appealing to us. I think from memory Bert finished second in his first ever race. So this is good going. he wasn't happy. No, nope. Johnny Herbert's got an electronically um, controlled spice Volkswagen. So it had electronic ignition, we had good old mechanical. And it's the only difference because Juddy's engine was good. Yeah. Juddy's horsepower was very true. So Bert, no I'm not having this, we've got to have a better engine. So flew to Spies in Germany. No good old EJ done exclusive. No one else can have the engine. So okay, back to England. F- thinking cap on. I said right, Nova Motor then Italy. So off we go to Italy. Nova Motor Alpha engine, fantastic on the dyno. Our Judd Volkswagen on Juddie's dyno had one six one horsepower. Pedrazzani's Nova Motor engine hundred and seventy five. I thought, phew, we're looking good here bolt that in we're going to win the championship <laughs> I've learnt since that the English horsepower and European horsepower is a different calculation right so we lost five horsepower straight away <laughs> and then I learnt the Italian horses are ponies <laughs> 175 Italian horsepower was not as good as Juddie's 161 <laughs> right uh, but to be fair the biggest problem it didn't have any torque the alpha top right. end power was good but you had to get there hmm so I worked with Pedrozani. We helped a lot. We did inlet manifolds. We did camshafts. You know, I just said to him, it's a great top end, but we haven't got an eight speed gearbox to get to it. <laughs> so I said, the English tracks, maybe it's good for the European fast tracks. But I said, Mr. Pedrozani, for the UK tracks. And also, the engine was heavier at the top. Right. Not what you so are. having a beautiful handling car, it turned into rubbish because the weight of the engine mm. up higher, center of gravity. Uh, so we had to work hard on the chassis. Uh, but we fi- we finished up clawing back to second in the championship. But I think if we'd stuck with the Juddy Volkswagen, we would have won yeah. the championship. The, the less, the less, more powerful. <laughs> engine is shit. We need a, <laughs> we need a better engine. Oh, you've only done one race, Bert. Give us a chance. <laughs> Give yourself a chance. Yeah, uh, and brilliant. Thruxton, we learnt then, was unique setup, which we didn't get to be top dog there till... That was 87, 89. We cracked Thruxton. Really? Which then would finish 1 2, 1 2.
0: Why, why is it such a specific circuit for such a It's the
1: long, sweeping right handers. You need a chassis that can keep your foot on the throttle, and you can't run a conventional setup from other tracks. Right. And it really bugged me that we could be quick at all other tracks except Thruxton. So we went to a test day there and just threw everything out the shade with Alan McNish. Yeah. Uh, and right near the end of the day, we cottoned on to it and he went out and he come back in and just, that's it, we've got it. Went I mean. to the race meeting, we qualified one-two, uh, Derek Higgins, yeah. uh, the Benetton car and Squishy in the Marlborough car. And we just walked away at the race, first and second fastest lap. Of course, then we had Meeker in the car next year, just walked away. Mm. So we learned the trick of Thruxton if we had have had that set up on the car with Burt I think with the Judd engine we still would have won yeah so it was more the chassis for Thruxton than the engine Right. but Burt got his way <laughs> cost us a fortune <laughs> <laughs> but and, I thought the Philip Morris powerful. the Philip Morris contract was good for another
0: six years so right. yeah um last couple of questions um there's quite a nice one from Jamie here which era of BTCC racing did you prefer was it um, super Touring when you first came in or all, all the more recent regulations, the um, early 2000s? Uh,
1: the Super Touring was a fantastic engineering uh, formula. So as my background in engineering, I enjoyed it, but it was hard to win because of the financial backing you had. Uh, there were so many... Grey areas in super Tour and it was who was the bravest to get to the dark grey and we were in the light grey permanently yeah. Thought we were doing well and then you learn, oh they're doing that Oh hang on, how are they allowed to do that? Mm. And then you learn more and more and since it finished and the stories that came out what people are up
0: to Yeah, What well, what were the sort of the top three th- The problems that- were that
1: uh, Geometry pickup points, the rules were 20 mil from your original road car <coughs> We learned from one car theirs was about 70 mil out. It's quite a big difference. And they got around that by, if a car has a ball joint, it's about 20, 25 mil diameter. So you could move it to the edge of that. This particular team put in a bush bearing, which was massively long, and they said, well, it's... The end of the bush bearing is where the original pickup point is, which was true. But they've gone way beyond the 20 mil. <laughs> but the fact was the original point was still adhered to, but they just took the Mickey from the rules. You know, the 20 mil yeah. sphere was 70 mil out. So we couldn't understand how that car was so good handling when we'd run it the two years before. And we couldn't get the results. Yeah. But the pleasing thing was the first year with it, they didn't win a race. And the second year, they totally rebuilt the cars, redid it all, and that's when we found
0: out all these stories. It's, yeah, little, little tricks. Yeah. So, I mean, they're now being raced again. Um, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, which is yeah. Must, yeah. Have, you, have you seen them race recently? Yes, yeah, we were at Silverstone. I
1: didn't get to the Classic this year, but the... Uh, historic cars, their media day, we're up there with yep. our car with an old Steve Soper BMW for a PR exercise. Mm. And I had a look around, there's one of our old Hondas there, yep. um, beautifully rebuilt. Uh, it must cost them a fortune because the trouble is, in those days, the development was going on every race weekend new uprights, new uprights, just this new wings, new this like, bloody hell, it's just ongoing development. So anyone that bought one of those there wasn't like, if you bought an NGTC car now there's lots of spares because they're all built most of them by one company. But in those days like uh, everything was changing, different wishbones. There was no rules. Yeah. Uh, Whereas now the policing of it is much tighter and which is better, you know, it's cost effective now. Mm. The current championship is you can race two cars probably comfortably on a budget for about a million whereas in those days unless you had five six seven eight million you wouldn't win
0: yeah it's a different time. I mean a million is still in my mind quite quite a lot of money <laughs> but compared to the super touring era it's it's, it's it's the it's,
1: problem is that with doing three races on a day you need a lot of people because if you have any problem between the races you got to have a lot of people yeah. to turn the car around. you got to have a lot of spears sitting there even though the spares are all the same, but it, if they're not pre-fitted, you can miss a race by, you know, there's only an hour and a half between races. Yeah. So it's it's quite Busy tight. Busy stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the packages, every car's got the same package, uh, but the cost of, like this year, was quite a lot of money adapting to the new update package. So, And getting good people on board's not cheap engineers, mechanics.
0: But you're you're obviously still enjoying it.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I've got over losing the
0: championship by two points. (laughs) (laughs) I'm really sorry to bring that up in the first paragraph of No, no, no. (laughs) I've got over now. It's 2017 now. Right. That's (laughs) that's the challenge. Um, I'm going to pass the the last question uh, of this talk show over to Ben Ritchie. Um, He's asking, in your long career, what's been your highlight and why?
1: oh dear me been lots of highlights probably a few yeah as i said winning the we have three with Senna, when no one had been there that was fantastic uh winning our first btc championship with colin turkington in 09 was a fantastic achievement uh there's been a lot i couldn't probably single out one because we're one in the 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 races in Immola and Hockenheim, they were fantastic achievements. They were really pleasing because we we're up against the cream of the Germans, the cream of the Italians. We didn't get to do the French race, so they were fantastic. Uh, winning the championship again in 14, winning the independence, the drivers, winning four out of four that were eligible for was another fantastic achievement. But that was a team effort, you know, there's running the touring cars at a race meeting where have 24 25
0: people really yeah Maybe. so it's it's a team effort yeah I'm, and i'm sure there are more many more highlights to come hopefully
1: i hope so we're we are starting to spend a lot of money already for 2017.
0: <laughs> right, so. <laughs> so, um it's so kind of you to come down and spare so much time um it's especially when you're so busy trying to sort out next year and the uh, sponsorship and, and everything and best of luck with it uh, i know we'll, we'll all be rooting for you thank you also to the club for providing such delicious bacon sandwiches and coffee um we'll be back next month for another another talk show and uh, we'll see you all then dick thank you so much very no very at
1: all. No, pleasure thank you